Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. He's back in the bullpen today. We got Mr. Christopher Bernard, commentator Young Voices. We're gonna talk about the Ukraine-Russia conflict and how it impacts global energy. This individual has been here before, writes for a wide range of outlets, including National Review, The Hill, and USA Today. Mr. Bernard, thank you for being back on the show. How are you? I'm good, looking forward to a great discussion. Absolutely, okay. I don't want to presume what you know, believe, about how this conflict has adversely impacted energy consumption and energy availability. So if you would give us your thoughts and I will then opine. Yeah, I think we're currently witnessing the importance of energy security. And and everyday Americans are feeling it at the pump with high energy prices and gas prices. And really I think that what's happened in Europe and kind of the energy policy we've seen there over the last decade is a cautionary is a cautionary tale of what we shouldn't be doing. Uh, you have countries like Germany shutting down their nuclear plants, um, kneecapping the domestic natural gas industry. And instead of moving to clean energy, they just started relying on Russia to import fossil fuels. And that gave Vladimir Putin geopolitical leverage over the continent. And I believe that the United States or other democratic countries in the world should not be relying on authoritarian dictatorships to supply our energy needs. And I'm worried that right now with the United States moving towards a clean energy transition, that we're going to be relying on countries like China to supply our solar panels, our critical minerals, um, and to really dominate us in that sense. And so I really believe that in the short term, yes, we should be looking at ways to increase oil and gas production to mitigate prices. But also we should be looking at ways that we can diversify our energy sources and get more clean energy, but without relying on countries like Russia and China. You know, 75% of what you said sounds like a progressive, right? All right, 25% does not. So let me get to something I actually agree with you on. I think it is a security mistake, obviously, to have this level of dependence on energy with foreign entities, period. Even if they were not dictatorships. The conversation of energy independence started in the in the 70s in America. And it was actually Republicans and Democrats talking the same talk. Now something happened. You know what happened, brother? Lobbying special interest groups. They came into the field of politics and they started lobbying these politicians to where now conservatives by and large, and you are conservative, but you think independently on this issue. Conservatives by and large, they don't see the value that you see in what you just said. And then you have corporate Democrats who are the same. They may talk a big game, but then they still vote in favor of these conglomerates that continue to keep us dependent on energy outside of the country. But let me go to the element of the Green New Deal, right? The vast majority of Americans actually agree with the Green New Deal. Every poll suggests the Green New Deal based on its merits is something agreeable to most Americans. Let's talk about the infrastructure. While we say, yes, energy independence is where we should get to. Most people assume that means less dependency on foreign oil. Well, America has been getting that taken care of for years as far as our dependency on foreign oil, right? So that's not the that's not the full issue here. The full issue is not just the energy, but it's the infrastructure. And let me explain what I mean by that. I would like to get your thoughts on it. If we're looking for energy and infrastructure, that means we can't just have electrical ports 
for cars. We got to have more electrical cars for the ports. That's energy and infrastructure. And I think what we've talked about is one or the other rather than both. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think you bring up a lot of really good points and I'd love to be able to respond to all of them. Yeah. But obviously in the interest of time, um, you mentioned, for example, uh, the importance of infrastructure and then kind of building out this clean energy infrastructure in the United States, which I think is crucial. And actually, I'll also add that I, I don't really think that uh, that's a conservative or a progressive position. I think that's just a commonsensical position. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm pushing for it. Um, but in terms of the infrastructure in this country, if you look at, for example, the National Environmental Policy Act, which is basically our regulatory structure for permitting these types of infrastructure projects. And if you look at the amount of red tape it requires to, for example, build a solar farm or a wind farm somewhere, it takes years and years and millions of dollars to get this approved. And I think that's just not helpful at all to what we're trying to achieve here. 45% of projects that are backlogged under this regulatory structure are clean energy projects. Only 15% are fossil fuel projects. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to take a holistic look at government and find ways that Republicans and Democrats can work together. And one of those I think is regulatory reform to make it easier to build cleaner in the United States. Let me opine on that. I 100% agree and some people will be shocked by my proclamation, but let me give you some context to that. What we have in the clean energy space is the same dynamic we have in the fossil fuel space. Competition of major corporations. These major corporations, they do not want competition. It's adversarial to their business survivability. They don't want actual competition. So what they've been able to do, and this is a really great trick that corporations play and politicians sell. What they've been able to do is present a model that says we want severe regulation in these industries, which really is aimed to stop or significantly slow down competitors in that space, which by the way would draw down on some of the market consumer price if you had that competition. But they would like to see about five to seven major companies have control of that industry. But it's the same thing as it relates to oil. It's the same thing as it relates to all other major industries in the United States and international industries as well. So I'm with you on regulation reform, but I'm not with Republicans when they say deregulate all markets. I think what happens typically brothers that we argue, we allow the extremes to argue against themselves and and it it doesn't seem like it possesses much common sense. When you allow one extreme, which is, Let's completely deregulate to argue with somebody who's 100% for all regulation. You never come to a consensus with that kind of argument. So I'm glad that you pointed it out and I'm with you on the reform part. But the question, the devil is in the details, brother. At what point is it reform? And at what point is it just a free for all? What are your thoughts on that? I think right now you're the one sounding like 75% conservative, 25% progressive. Um, when I mean, it comes to about- energy, brother, we have got to be energy dependent in this state, in this country. We have to figure out a way to do that and to stop tearing up our environment in the process. So I am for deregulation under that model. Yeah, and, and like what you said about companies, big companies doing what big companies do. Yeah. They don't actually like competition. It's the same reason Amazon is uh, is trying to lobby for a $15 minimum wage and why you have energy companies trying to entrench their own interests. 
And the sad thing is it's not just for fossil fuel companies. You have the solar industry as well that is working on these, uh, on trying to entrench their own interests and trying to, for example, um, um, ban tariffs or, or implement tariffs on other companies. And so you really kind of see uh, where companies don't want this competition. Now, as a conservative, I do believe that competition is a good thing. And you look, for example, at the at the energy market in Texas, and it has its flaws, and there certainly can be reforms. But you okay. look at the fact that um, Texas, if it were a country, would be the fifth largest producer of wind energy in the world. And that is, I think, because it has uh, allowed for electricity competition and choice. And consumers tend to like wind and solar nowadays, including Republicans. And so a red state like Texas is building out the wind industry like nowhere else in the world. I think that's a pretty good thing. All right, so let me highlight this. Five states produce most of the oil in the US, Texas, North Dakota, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Alaska. I want to highlight something you said that I thought was interesting. And it's kind of a caveat point. You said Amazon lobbying for $15 an hour minimum wage. Now I'm for increasing the minimum wage, I'm for $15 an hour if that makes sense regionally. Now my approach is more nuanced because minimum wages don't translate to actual cost of living per region. I would like the cost of living calculation to be included in the increase of minimum wage. But do you at least agree, and, and as I said, a side point, but you brought it up. Do you at least agree that we do need healthy regulation as it relates to how people get paid in America? I mean, that's that's obviously not necessarily part of, of my daily work. And so I'm not necessarily qualified to answer that. I will say, I think you hit the, the nail on the head that um, a, a federal minimum wage doesn't really make sense because of those regional differences. I, I do share the opinion of, of many of kind of right leaning economists that the uh, that the effective minimum wage is $0 simply because um, the, the wages are set by the market, not by arbitrary policy. Um, but again, I think we're, we're digressing yeah, but, from but the But typically, topic. now I got you, I understand that. And typically, just so I can respond to your point, those conservative economists have been debunked routinely, even by historical dynamics um, dating back to the 40s, where we were always told by corporations, you cannot raise the minimum wage, it'll do A, B, and C to the market. And it never did, it actually gave more people money. Uh, there's a market adjustment, uh, and after that market adjustment, they were able to continue to make their profits while individuals got paid more money. Uh, the truth is without any regulation in that market, you then return to individuals making four or $5 an hour, uh, which is a no-no in this country. Uh, and it's already set federally quite low anyway. And if, it, if, if minimum wage kept up with inflation in this country, minimum wage would be roughly $22 an hour right now. But we allowed that to get away from us. Okay, uh, let's talk about the tech slate. What are your thoughts about uh, tech slate and how this interplays with that? About the sorry, what did you say? How, how does how does tech interplay? Oh with yeah, what's happening with Russia Ukraine right now? Give us your thoughts on that. This is your field, and so you're yeah, absolutely yeah yeah absolutely. So I think um, what we have seen in the last few years in the U.S. and I think this Ukraine crisis has only accelerated it, but we're seeing huge demand in the U.S. for clean energy technologies. I mean, you as as I've said, there's trillions of dollars in in private capital ready to pour into these investments. I think sometimes the the regulatory situation is not really allowing that to be put to good use, um, and and I think there's there's ways that we can really in this country work on on um, allowing these clean energy technologies to compete and and to allow the United States to become to become the world leader on this, so that we're not relying on countries like China. 
And one of the big worries that I have in which maybe I believe your side of the aisle doesn't talk enough about is, for example, for this whole clean energy transition for electric vehicles, batteries, wind farms and solar panels, you need critical minerals, lithium, cobalt, all those different critical minerals, which 90% of them we get from China right now. Now, what are we gonna do about that? Do we have to source those at home? I believe we do, but a lot of progressive environmentalists are uncomfortable with that. And so I would say that there's a lot of things in the United States that need to change to allow the clean energy transition to really occur and for the United States to become a world leader and become less reliant on China or Russia for our energy. Yeah, you gotta change the infrastructure. I agree with you, we have you know way too much dependence on China for much of this stuff. Metallic, metallic and non-metallic products. But once again, you don't get there by just, you know, putting this piece and that piece together. You literally have to present an exhaustive plan that will take years to implement that transform the infrastructure while at the same time transforming the energy itself. Would you not agree? Yeah, I 100% agree. And like you said, you need both electric vehicles and electric vehicle charging infrastructure. It's a yin and yang, you need both to be able to do this. Now, the one thing I will say is I believe that progressive tend to underestimate the amount of private capital that is interested in this. Last year, over 70% of new energy investments in the United States were in clean energy. There is huge demand for it. But if we have these supply chain bottlenecks and these regulatory grid gridlocks all over the country, we won't be able to build that out. And we can't let that capital invest in this. And I think we can both agree that we want trillions of dollars to go into clean energy. And I think that we can work with the private sector with sensible reform and sensible regulatory solutions. That's the key word, brother, sensible, sensible hey, reform. I love sensible. How, how do you define that in an era of extremism in politics, right? How do you define it when we're living in a political culture that has become more tribal than in its than ever before? I don't think we've ever lived in such a tribal culture in politics. So we're talking about common sense solutions, remedies to problems that really should be nonpartisan. However, the the extremes on both sides will kind of go to their corners and not argue in the middle for this stuff. But I'm with you that we gotta stop significant dependence on foreign oil and countries for energy, etc. But once again, it's your guys on the right who are typically the ones fighting progressive reform as it relates to energy. I'm not saying that that we're 100% all the way we've solved this all the way. But I am saying that when you have presentations like the Green New Deal and the vast majority of Americans actually agree with it and you don't have a Republican counterpart to that, that tells you something about the national conversation. And Republicans demonize the Green New Deal on a regular basis. And with all of that negative, all of that negative talk about the Green New Deal, it is still more popular than any Republican bill that has been presented of its kind. I don't think you're wrong. And I think the right definitely needs to come up with an answer. And my organization, the American Conservation Coalition, we're working hard on trying to do that. And we're getting we're the young Republicans and the young conservatives pushing for that. One thing that you said though is interesting. One of the big things I believe that caused this crisis, this energy crisis in Europe is because of Europe's really quite backward approach to nuclear energy. Get a country like Germany that got rid of its nuclear plants. And instead of kind of getting that energy elsewhere from clean energy domestically, they got it from fossil fuels from Russia. And I think a lot of 
the same problems are starting to happen in the United States as well. You have countries like uh, states like California closing their nuclear plants. You have uh, New York that closed its nuclear plant last year and emissions spiked 35%. Those are progressive legislatures voting for anti-clean energy legislation. I don't think that's a good thing and I'm sure you don't think that's a good thing. And so really, I'm not interested in the blue team versus red team fight. I'm interested in sensible solutions, like I said. And so when progressives are talking about we need clean energy, they can't exclude nuclear from that equation. And that's where I think conservatives have been providing value to this conversation. We need to build out our nuclear industry in this country. We need to not rely on Russia to import uranium. And we need to allow innovation and technology such as small modular reactors to unfold to help us tackle climate change. And that is something that I believe conservatives and, and I'm trying to bring to the table as part of this conversation. With that said, brother, we're out of time. We got another show to go to, but I gotta say this to you. While I don't agree with everything you've said here, I don't have to. Um, I'm glad that you're part of the movement. I'm glad that you're pointed in the right direction as far as environment and energy. Even if I disagree with some of the nuance you present. But once again, you have a tough job ahead of you, young man, because you're inside of a party that typically has been purchased, has been bought by those who are adversarial to your sentiment. But big ups to you for even trying. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. Absolutely.